there. Welcome to the Moving Up Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Wilson. I'm here to dish out practical advice to help you elevate your business and your life. I'm the CEO of the Wilson Group Real Estate Services here in Nashville, Tennessee. So you know we're going to be covering ground in the real estate industry. But you'll also be hearing from expert leaders in the personal development and entrepreneurship communities. So pull up a seat because we're about to have a lot of fun. It's time for you to move up. Today, we welcome a good friend, a colleague, Rusty Moore with Bankers Title and Escrow. Rusty founded and is the president of Bankers Title and Escrow with offices here in Nashville, Brentwood, and Dixon. It is a pleasure to work with him and his company and his fellow attorneys at Bankers Title because the secret in their sauce is definitely their attention to detail, the way they dig into problems, and the way they make your clients and you as the realtor feel special, appreciated, and ready to take on that next chapter of your life in your home ownership. So Rusty Moore, welcome to the Moving Up Podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you. So Rusty and I share one thing in common. We share many things in common, but one of my favorite things is that he is a University of Tennessee fan as well. Absolutely. And a grad too, right? Uh, Twice, law school and undergrad. Yay, even better, (laughs) even better. (laughs) So Rusty, we're just going to start and ask you a few questions. Being in the title business and the law business, Bankers Title and Escrow, tell us how your company came to be. Well, I was originally with one of the large law firms uh, here in town, and we had a client that uh, was a large bank, but they needed a residential closing area uh, because they had a big residential lending uh, area of the bank. And so our law firm said, we've got to start doing this. And so I was one of the young lawyers in the firm, and so I got charged with working on the residential side. And then very shortly, we broke it out into banker's title and and then over time, we've evolved to this year is our 30th year, oh which my is gosh. unbelievable. Wow. Yes. So uh, so that's how I sort of fell into doing residential, but I've absolutely loved it. It's really tremendous. Congratulations on 30 years. You've seen some ups and downs and sideways and backwards right. and forwards. And I started when I was 12, by the way. I was going to say, <laughs> child prodigy that you are. Exactly. You know, they grow them that way in Dixon, Tennessee, right? <laughs> that's right. That's, that's exactly your hometown. right. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what made you decide to go into law? Well, I was working for the U.S. Senate in D.C., and I decided that uh, you know I wanted to have a little further education, but I kind of wanted to stay in that political arena. So I went to law school and uh, then ended up having a clerkship with a firm here in Nashville, which is now Adams & Reese, but it was Stokes & Bartholomew, Sam Bartholomew, and Ogden Stokes. And during the summer that I clerked there, I worked with the real estate area and just really enjoyed what I was doing but more the people that I was doing it with. And so uh, that's how I decided to start as a practicing lawyer as opposed to just having a law degree. So I never knew that, that you worked up in D.C. Yes. So have you always had this interest in politics? Well, slight. Yeah. Yeah. Slight. Yeah. It's it's waned over the years (laughs) as politics has become less fun. Right? Yes. Yeah. So fun fact that Heather and I were talking about because we do our closings with you in your office and Mm – and Jim Wechter, another one of the fine attorneys at Bankers Title. And you have a ton of political 
pins, presidential pins that people wear. So how did that start? My dad and my grandfather had a few buttons that were, you know, just laying around. And so just over time, I began to collect those. And so I've literally been collecting them since law school. So I do have quite a few. And and now it's, it's fun to collect because you just order from the various campaigns. But an interesting fact is that I am a donor to every political presidential campaign <laughs> because a button's worth 25 cents, but you have to pay $2 for it. So $1.75 is considered a donation. Oh, that's so, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I'm a, a, a donor to everyone. So do you yeah. have your dad and granddad's buttons? Yes. In those? yes. So they're in these shadow boxes. Yeah, they're awesome to yeah. see. When I bring clients in, they're always just in awe of yeah. looking at the wall. Yeah. Well, it gives us something to, to have them do if we're running behind. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is true. It's always good to have something like that. <laughs> and free coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Baker's title, you're greeted with coffee and water. That's and I right. Love it. And soft drinks. So, all right, well, let's talk a little bit about what you do. What Heather and I love to do is educate our audience on different aspects in real estate, community involvement and entrepreneurship. You are somewhat of an entrepreneur as well. But what y'all really do and specialize are closings, correct? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, we do the the real estate closing side of transactions and the title insurance side. So both of those are combined in our state and one office does both functions. So talk to our listeners who don't know what title insurance is. What is title insurance? So title insurance is what they used to call, you know, many, many, many years ago, a guaranteed title. So when you bought a home, you wanted to have, you know, some guarantee that that was the the title to your property. And so it used to be called most of the title companies were called title guarantee companies. And that has evolved now into more of an insurance side because it's regulated by the insurance side. So it's called title insurance. But it essentially ensures you that when you get a deed to a home or any property, that it is yours and that there's no one that can make a claim against that title. No unpaid mortgage, no unpaid tax, no person who has an interest in it that didn't sign a deed. And so the title insurance really does two things. One, it covers for any loss. So if there was an unpaid mortgage, it it would cover paying that mortgage off and that loss that you might have. But the real important part of it is a duty to defend. So the title company, if someone comes along and says, well, wait, you know, I have an ownership interest in this property or I have an unpaid mortgage, the title company has to provide your counsel, your lawyer to defend that title. And that's part of their expense. So it's more than just paying for the loss. And then the title insurance is really paid once. So it's not like an insurance where you, you know, keep it going and pay every year. It's paid one time at the time the policy is issued, and it's, and it's good for as long as you own the home. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then if somebody is trying to sell their property and they have their original title policy, they get a discount or a credit. Yes, called reissue credit. Then that's true in our state. Okay. Uh, and in and title insurance varies in in states uh, across the nation. Our rates for title insurance in Tennessee are regulated and they're filed with the state, and so they're all the same. But in other states, the rates vary. And in our state, if you have a title policy that's less than 10 years old, you do get a reissue credit. It's up to 30%, so it's a big savings. Yeah. But that may not be true in other states. So let me make sure I heard you correctly. Are the title rates 
the same through our whole state and not different from county to county? They're, they're the same throughout the state, but they differ from county to county. Now, that's a really weird answer, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so um, we have to follow these rate filings, but the rate filings in the larger counties, Davidson, Montgomery, Williamson, uh, Rutherford, and Middle Tennessee are all what we call an all-inclusive rate. So the lawyer cannot charge for the title search or for any additional work that they might do. You have to just get that one all-inclusive rate. In the more rural counties, which are all the others, there's a title rate, but the search and title examination is charged on top of that. So it can vary depending on that search and examination cost, but the premium rate's the same. Interesting. I didn't didn't know that. I thought it went from county to county, just different rates from county to county. They're all the same, except the ones that are different. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the laminated little cheat sheet that you guys yes. hand out every year to all of the agents. I have two of them, and I use it all the time. Well, it's really helpful when you're trying to help a seller sort of determine what their costs are going to be, or a buyer, if the buyer's paying that expense. It, it really is helpful to kind of have an idea of closely, at least, what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that is a, a definite equation to figure that out. And it's nicer just right in front of you. I like the chart. Yeah, I like the chart too. My dad taught me the equation way back in the day. And I used to, no, thank you. No, thank you. So do you see title claims happen? Oh, I mean, I'm sure that goes directly to the title insurer and not the um, title company, but. Well, yes. I mean, I do see a lot of claims over the years that I have been doing this. Fortunately, at Bankers Title, we, we really, really work hard to make sure our underwriting is correct. We work hard to make sure the search is correct, and we really try to pay attention to every detail. So our claims history as a title company is really, I, I use the word spectacular. We have very, very few claims over time, and most of those have been search-related where something was not discoverable. And so we've been really, really fortunate with that. But yes, over time... The number one claim has to do with property taxes, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a pretty easy thing to determine, but sometimes the trustee records are not exactly clear, and so there will be some unpaid taxes. Uh, there are a, a lot of title claims do relate to someone, particularly in the state, claiming some ownership in the property that they may or may not, may not have. Got it. I will say that bankers' titles, the search that you all do is great. I mean, I, I think I've had several closings to where things have been found out that the sellers didn't even, they were not even aware of and brought to their attention. So it's been pretty amazing to watch over the years, some of the different things that Bankers Title has found. One of the many reasons I love Heather Warmbrod is that, that was the exact <laughs> thing I was going to say. Was when I lost, I was like, yeah, because y'all find stuff. They do. Yeah. They find stuff. They find relatives and brothers. And and I'm always like, how was this missed before? Yeah. O- outside of an estate situation, but just a normal title thing that should have been caught two or three sales ago, you guys will catch. So they have a very, very Mm -hmm. impressive team over there, which we thank you. And we are um, we are agents for Old Republic Title and Chicago Title, which is a Fidelity National Title Company. And th- those underwriters, those two companies are just outstanding nationally. Mm-hmm. And they are much of the reason that we do such a good job on our title is because we are working with them directly. Well, and that yeah. speaks volumes to you, too, that 
that was your choice that you decided to to go with. So Rusty and Banker's Title comes to our office at least once or twice a year to talk to our company about estates and probates. And I know we've had Adam Barber on who specifically Mm -hmm. is in that. But with Rusty doing the closings, tell us for the agents listening, if you're dealing with an estate that you're about to sell, the importance of getting in touch with your firm early on in the transaction. Well, as, as you guys know from our visits here, we just encourage an agent, if there is uh, an estate of any any way involved in a transaction, just get in touch with us early or whoever you're using for closings because it is really important. The estates vary very much between properties. You know, you could have a trust, property could be in a trust, there could be someone who has passed away that has a will, but often people pass away and there is no will. So the variety of estates is almost like the variety of homes on a street. You know, they're all different and there's just not a cookie cutter. And so knowing as the agent, and, and even as the seller that you're trying to sell the property for the estate, knowing who has that authority to sell mm-hmm. is incredibly important. You want your listing agreement, and you want your contract signed by the people who have authority. And often, someone may be an executor of an estate, but may not have the authority to sell the real property, because it can be very different depending on how the title was held whether it's a trust or not, also what the will says, and then if there's no will, who actually has inherited the property. And so uh, the, the variety is just incredible, and so getting in, us involved early is, is incredibly important yeah. and makes it all easy for everyone. And gives the time necessary to clean up anything that you need to clean right. up. So there is a, there are a lot of timing issues in estates as well. I mean, there's a certain time period after someone passes away at 60 days that you can't do anything, you know, un- unless it was a husband and wife, and that that's a little different. But if someone passes away, you're basically frozen from selling anything for 60 days. Beyond that, there are time periods for creditors. There are also other time periods that are running uh, from filing probate or not filing probate. And so those time periods can differ whether you you decide to probate or not. And so those time periods are something we have to map out really early. So we have that closing when your seller is actually ready. And it, it really saves a lot of embarrassment mm-hmm. to make, you know, make sure everything's ready to go at the time that you sell the property. Right, right. So you mentioned a minute ago about one of the largest claims you see on title insurance are the tax liens yes. or, or taxes not being paid. Talk a minute about that. I think a lot of people don't understand tax liens and when the county can foreclose on your property. So tax liens are what we call a super lien. They're super priority. They are number one. Who's surprised by that, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the county needs their, their money. So even though I have purchased a home, I have a deed to that home, and I have given a mortgage to a mortgage company, if I don't pay those taxes and the bank uh, does not pay those taxes for me, 
and the county is unpaid, the county can foreclose on that property at a tax sale, and they can wipe away my ownership, and they can wipe away the bank's mortgage because they are a super priority. And it can even be taxes that are five years after the mortgage was recorded. So they're, they're considered a super lien. And so that explains, too, a lot of people wonder why a lender wants to escrow for taxes and insurance. Well, the two biggest losses that a lender can have are, number one, the properties destroyed by fire or some other catastrophe. So they really have the as much interest as you or more financial mm-hmm. interest mm-hmm. if the loan, you know, is above 50%. They have a financial interest in making sure that the uh, insurance is paid. So if something is destroyed, they get paid. Mm-hmm. And then the other is they want to escrow for taxes because if the taxes don't get paid, they can lose their mortgage interest in the property as well as you losing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that that's a lot of people always ask at closings. Now, why do they want the escrow? Why would the lender want to do this? Well, that's precisely why they're the biggest risks. Got it. Got it. So how many, if you miss your property taxes for one year, they can foreclose or is it five years or is there... A- well, it, it's one it's thumb. it's one year, but it but you typically have to be two or three years behind uh, be, before they will start the tax sale procedure. So at least two years behind. So I go to a tax sale. So Metro for or the county, whatever county is having a tax lien sale. They advertise it like any foreclosure sale mm-hmm. in the paper three for three times. You go and buy it at the courthouse steps for something. Right. Right. Whether it's the tax amount or more. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does the prior owner have a year to redeem? Yes. They have a redemption period of one year from the date of that tax sale to just go back in and pay those taxes. And that tax sale is wiped away. Okay. All right. So we always advise our clients, if you're buying something at a tax sale, make no improvements. Don't put any money in that thing for one year. For one year. And then also, what I have to say to everyone is that tax sale properties are are typically not insurable with title insurance. And the reason for that is that tax sales conducted by most counties do not give a proper due process of law required in the U.S. Constitution. And that's because the notice of publication is not found to be enough publication for due process of law. So unless you can prove that the person who's being foreclosed against or the tax property's been sold at a tax sale received an actual notice, that title is probably not insurable. There's a time period, 10 years or more, some title underwriters, it's 20 years. It will eventually be insurable, but it's one of those things that if you have people investing in tax sales, you got to have cash because you can't get a loan because you can't get title insurance usually. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, I when clients want to go buy foreclosures or tax liens at the courthouse steps, I'm like, that is for the, only the very savvy right. investor. It really is. And, and a foreclosure at, at the courthouse steps for a bank foreclosing it is entirely different because you do have a pretty good paper trail of the notice. But a, a tax sale, when the county's selling hundreds of properties every year, you know, they, there's just no way to know that every person uh, that's being uh, the tax taxes aren't paid are getting that proper notice. Do they do that just once a year or do they do it monthly or how is that held? 
Uh, there are several times uh, every year that they have a tax sale. They do them in groups or batches, and uh, they search the titles to those properties. Davidson County here in Nashville does an incredible job of trying to find the potential owners, but many of these things that are being sold are, are related to an estate or someone who doesn't have like a, a, an immediately findable next of kin. So a lot of the tax sale properties are properties that are sold because of an estate. Okay. Hi, I'm Harry Allen, co-founder and chief relationship officer of Studio Bank. Studio Bank is passionate about what our members create, and we're here to support you through the process. We provide capital and services to build businesses. We offer mortgage and home loan options, whether you're a first-time home buyer or purchasing your fifth home. We work with artists to reach their audiences. We help nonprofits transform our community. And often, the most important work we do is simply empowering individuals to pursue their dreams. We're here because what you create matters. Let's create something together. Visit studiobank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, NMLS number 1761767. Codes letters yes. on properties. So I know you're saying tax lien is a, a super lien, super priority. When codes puts a letter against your house, or I'm not even sure of the right words, but your house is in violation of codes and you keep receiving letters, and if you don't take care of this by X date, you will right. be fined X amount. And similar to the, maybe it's an estate sale. Maybe you're, right. you're the person who lives there doesn't live in that house anymore is in a nursing home or something. Are those super liens? Are those liens at all? They are liens. Okay. Uh, they are liens. And the, uh, and the coach letter itself is a requirement. And so, uh, you know, if there's a demolition order on a home because it's just dilapidated, then that order is there and it's a lien against the property until the home is demolished. Or you go back and there's a rehab enough that they now consider it to be habitable. And then the fine part also is a lien. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's just a lien or a notice for an action. And again, it's a lien. But it's a, a lien for an action or a notice for an action. But many times it's a fine. If properties are overgrown, the county or city government might come in and mow and take care of it. And whatever that fee is, they'll just attach that as a fine. Mm -hmm. And so, but they are they are liens against a property just like a tax lien or anything else. Is Graffiti. That Graffiti as well. Oh, that's right. You oh, yeah. That happened with yours, graffiti. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> that's a new one for me. Yes. So is that a super lien that takes precedence over the mortgage? Um, no. Okay. It, it, so the tax, the, the taxes are in a different category than a, than a codes lien. Uh, we do not see the codes departments foreclosing. They just wait it out and Got get it. paid eventually. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, let's talk about, well, actually, I want to talk about, speaking of codes, we work with a lot of builders and mm -hmm. Nashville's tear down capital of the world, I feel like. And so yeah. we have a lot of new construction. And if someone is purchasing with a loan, their lender is going to require a certificate of a proof of certificate of occupancy. In your office, how do you guys deal with that when things are just right down to the wire and you don't have a certificate of occupancy? Well, we, 
we I'll have to say it's not a lot of fun. I know because uh, <laughs> it's not and, a lot of fun and, on our side yeah, either. And particularly with the the uh, building in our community here in Nashville, you know, it just codes inspectors are are behind and 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 reasonably so. There's building on every corner, mm-hmm. so it, it's not hard to believe. And so getting these final certificates of occupancy uh, sometimes really is down to the wire and sometimes past the wire. But I will say this, we do have a number of lenders that do not require the certificate of occupancy. So that's the first thing a a buyer and a realtor wants to find out. Does my lender require it? But I will tell you from my point of view and from our point of view at Banker's Title, we think a buyer should have that. Whether it's a temporary, because there is something that's Mm -hmm. lacking but not significant, a temporary certificate of occupancy allows you to go ahead and, and occupy the home. But if there's no CO certificate of occupancy, if there's not that, then you really don't have a right to move in. Mm-hmm. And so I think a buyer really needs to have that. You know, there's always a horror story that we have, but there was one that took over a year to get a certificate of occupancy because of some gas line issue. And so you really don't want to be the homeowner that's having to deal with, you know, having a gas rain in your home but not being able to use it yet so mm-hmm. right. I, I think that uh, having that co is really important does the title companies you mentioned y'all are um old republic and chicago yes title do they require a certificate of occupancy to issue title no because a government requirement like that is not something that is insured by the title policy ah. so you're insured that you have good title to the property but but you are not assured that the construction is perfect you're not assured that uh, there's a warranty uh, of tight or a warranty on the construction so that's not something title is insuring so okay. they do not require it okay very helpful mm-hmm. so heather and i love to hear crazy stories share oh, with no. us some of your crazy <laughs> crazy closing stories because there's so many i'm sure uh well uh so this is going to last what four hours yeah. is that- <laughs> no uh, everybody buckle in uh, here we go well i i, I guess I would have to say are absolute craziest, and, and this is interesting because I went to a seminar in another state several years ago, and the presenter was telling this story, and I'm thinking, wow, this thing has gotten all over the nation, but we had a closing, and while we were at the closing table, the house was on fire. So, oh, wow. yes, so the house was actually burning at the time we were sitting there trying to close it. And it was a really unusual situation. And so, you know, you always want to know, well, what was the rest of that story? And so the buyer said, wait, you know, this, this house now has damage. We, we don't want to fund and continue the closing. I actually, interestingly enough, had the seller side of it. The seller was a relocation company. Relocation companies never allow a buyer to have any occupancy prior to closing. But this buyer had gotten a key and had gone ahead and moved some things in the home, and they sat boxes on top of a smooth top range, uh, and then the power was turned on, and the house burned because of that. So, you know, the buyer... So the buyer really had a choice. They could not buy the house and and have a potential criminal trespass, or they could go ahead and let their insurance company cover the claim, which is exactly what they did. But having a fire while the house is burning, come on. I mean, having a hot fire while the house is closing, I mean, unbelievable. How did you get notified of that? We didn't know know it until several hours after. 
Yes. Okay. Dang. Yeah. I was about to share one. That one takes the cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, listen, really I'll always win. You yeah, ask yeah. for a closing yeah, story, I'm always going to win. Yeah. <laughs> like the Vols, right? That's yeah, right. Like the Vols. <laughs> hey, 2022's our year. It's got to be. It's got to be. <laughs> How about that Vandy game? Two oh, days I loved ago? it. Man. That was unbelievable. Down unbelievable. to the wire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Talking about crazy stories on closings, what are your? what do you, is typically the biggest challenge you guys see? Well, I think really the biggest challenge on everything uh, is the title side for us because we have to make sure lots of things are done ahead of time. We're verifying payoffs for sellers. We're verifying homeowners associations. And when there's a title issue, uh, often it's not easy to resolve. And it takes some creativity and some digging. And so I think from our day-to-day work, the title issues would, would really take precedence over those things that, that uh, get involved. The logistics is, is always a big challenge. And that's a challenge for the realtors, for the buyers, the sellers, and the lenders, because in our day and time, and particularly in our Nashville community, when we have so many people moving from other locations, um, closings are not always just at a closing table in Nashville anymore. Right. And so the logistics of getting things closed and signed and remote closings, getting lender funding, finalizing all the loan part of the transaction, getting the buyers and sellers together are are really big challenges too. So I would say logistics and title issues. Got it. Do you see loans not getting funded often? No, not often, but it, it absolutely, it absolutely happens. It it is typically because of something like a condition of the loan not being met. For example, someone's required to sell their home, and then that closing falls through. And so the new loan won't fund because that condition wasn't met. Or, and believe it or not, and it's a sad thing, but people lose employment. And if you lose employment on or about the closing time, that lender won't fund that loan because they're typically verifying employment right up to the closing date. Mm -hmm. So a situation as the realtor, and Heather's, I know, has been through this too, buyer and seller close, and they're just waiting for the funding from the lender. You have to, I guess, send the settlement statement back to the, also back to the lender. This inevitably happens at about four o'clock on a Friday before a three-day weekend, and it doesn't get funded till that Tuesday. And, you know, your buyer has their moving van showing up at Friday at five or Saturday Mm -hmm. at 8 a.m., no funding, sellers saying, nope, you can't go in and yeah. um yeah so i was just curious that was yeah. always been a curiosity question of, of mine is how often do they not fund it's just incredibly rare i would have to say it's incredibly rare and and i think in those situations and we try to you know we're not the agent we're not the buyer or the seller but we do try to help give some guidance in a situation like that And if we have a situation where everyone has signed everything on Friday Mm -hmm. and all of the funds are there, so the buyer's funds are there, the lender's funds are there, but we can't disperse because we've missed a wire cutoff or there's some something that we're waiting for that's obvious that it's going to arrive, then I I think it's – I would do temporary occupancy and let someone go ahead and move in. That that would be our recommendation. Mm -hmm. But if all of the funds are not there or we're waiting for lender funding or we're waiting for a buyer's funds especially – I think that sellers are are well advised to hold on to possession until it's all closed and funded. One thing I advise my agents is never, ever set a closing 
for a Thursday or Friday before a three-day weekend. Yeah. It's a kiss of day. It's, it yes. happens so often. Memorial Day and Labor Day are the big ones. At 2 o'clock yes. in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> or 4. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a disaster. Well, and while it's rare not to fund, funding is something that takes a few minutes. Yeah. I mean, it does take some yeah. time. Documents are signed, but many lenders want to see those. Mm -hmm. uh, others don't. The lenders vary on what they need from us. So we're as soon as closing documents are signed, we have a specific person in our office that gets the file ready, sends it to the lender. We do everything to get that loan funded and ready and ready to uh, to send out all the money. But if you wait till a closing on Friday afternoon at three or four, the chances of all that happening mm -hmm. are just more remote. Mm -hmm. And then we have a lot of our lenders now are, are more national in nature. And states are very different in the way closings occur. You know, in California, they're an escrow state. It takes three or four days for something to close. You know, documents are mm -hmm. signed, funds are deposited. They go ahead and record. And then after all that happens, funds are dispersed. So it's usually, you know, as, as many as days as a week, and often it's two or three days. In Tennessee, we're considered a table funding state or a wet state, meaning that money moves the same day the documents are signed. But when you've got lenders from all over the nation, that always, just, you know, just doesn't always happen like we want it to, and time zone differences and things like that. So, uh, you know, having your closings earlier in the day is always a good thing. Yeah. The time zone difference goes back to what you're talking about on logistics. I had one last week where it was a triple domino. My buyers were buying here in Nashville. They were selling in Knoxville. Their buyer was moving from Seattle. And so the time zones really screwed us up. Yes. And then there was a funding issue on their buyer's loan, which ultimately dominoed into ours and we got all straightened out in fact you closed it twice thank you very right. much but, <laughs> yeah that was the example the, the, of the home not really, selling yes yeah. Yeah. home not selling and the logistics of the time frame of the um yes you know pacific time versus central time yeah that, that one's still fresh <laughs> well and you know we we like to have closings earlier in the day because if if we have a closing at five o'clock or six o'clock in the evening, the lender is, is usually not there. Yeah, and so gone. if a question comes up, it's really harder to get an answer. And so, you know, we like to encourage buyers uh, and sellers to close, you know, early in the day, at least not at the end, so that we can get questions answered and issues resolved if they come up. That's right. So just planning ahead. Planning ahead. That's the name of the game in real estate. <laughs> planning ahead and managing expectations. Yes. Exactly. All yes. the way through. 100%. Yeah. Well, Rusty, any other crazy story you want to share before we wrap it up? Uh, well, I will tell you the story because uh, I think this is interesting, particularly for realtors. So we had this seller that decided after the contract was signed and the buyer was doing all their home inspections and everything, decided, I, I, I just don't want to sell it. I was going to move to another state, but I've decided to stay in Tennessee, so I'm not going to sell it. And so they notified the buyer that they just weren't going to sell. And the buyer says, well, that's not an option that you have. You know, you've contracted to sell us this home. And the seller said, oh, no, 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 we're still in the inspection period. So this seller, for some reason, thought that they could inspect the buyers and decide if they wanted to sell oh, to wow. them or not. So um, uh, after a court told them that it was going to be a sale, <laughs> uh, that all eventually closed. So. Oh, wow. 
I think that was one of the strangest one because of the seller just thinking that, oh, I can just walk away. I don't really have to sell it when I, even after I sign a contract. Was that a for sale by owner? No, it was not. It had an agent. Yes, both sides. How often do you see them go to court? Very, very rarely. Yeah. Yeah, it's yep. it's it's very it's very rare. Usually in a, a real estate transaction setting where there is an issue between a buyer and seller or an issue about the property, it typically will get worked out just because the cost of litigation is so so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And that's another podcast, I'm sure. That's right. That is another <laughs> podcast. On that note, we will wrap it up yes. and say thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to be here. I really enjoyed visiting with you guys. We'll have to do it again soon. We Sounds will. great. All thank right. you. Thanks. Hope everyone has a great day. If you have any questions that you'd like Heather and I to answer on our podcast, send us an email at Say it, Heather. Podcast, Podcast. at wilsongroup.com. Thank you. Podcast at wilsongrouprealestate.com. Real estate. Yes. Podcast <laughs> at wilsongrouprealestate.com. Everyone have a great day. We look forward to chatting with you again soon. The Wilson Group Real Estate Services is one of Nashville's top premier boutique real estate firms. We specialize in working with buyers and sellers for housing, investment, and commercial needs, as well as offering a full-service property management division for your investments. Check out our website today at wilsongrouprealestate.com. Hey, if you're loving the show, go find that little follow button on your podcast app. This will ensure you won't miss a single episode. Until next time.